Okay, I know what some of you are going to say. I lost my halo. Right. <laughs> some people were saying that when they see the speaker up here, that because of the beautiful stained glass behind us, there's this halo effect that goes on there. But uh, in any case, I like being down. I like being here because then I can be closer to the people. And those poor folks in the front can't fall asleep as easily. So uh, anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you've gathered us together in this special place that we may come and hear from you. Father, if there's anything that we need to hear today, it's probably not found in the news particularly, but it's found in your word and it comes to us because you speak things that are true. You speak things that are necessary for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first came to Singapore in 2009, I was stunned by how many questions people would ask me. And you know what the number one and number two question was? The first question was, how do I find Singapore? And I said, easily, it's on the map, you know. And then people, the second question is, what do you eat for dinner every night? You know, they, they thought that, you know, we somehow ate hamburgers and hot dogs all the time. And so we had to clear that up. But now there's a third question that I often run into here in Singapore. And that question is, what's next? What's next? It's sort of like people are, they just sort of dismiss what's happening right now, and they want to know what the future is going to hold. They want to know what's next. I hear this from leaders. I hear it from members. I hear it from family and friends and even foes. The same question is, What's next? It's a good question, and it ought to be asked and answered periodically. That's for sure. We, cannot, we should not, and we cannot avoid it. The question that may be presented to GBC, then, is what's next for GBC in 2016? All right? And so this question the ECL has pondered and has been praying about, and they have come up with this. And that is that for 2016... The goal would be to present every man complete in Christ. And this is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. To present every man or everyone complete in Christ. And what this means is that vigorous efforts will be made on all levels to disciple individuals and to build up the community of Christ here at GBC in 2016. Now, the basics of how this will be done are found in Paul's pattern of ministry revealed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, on to chapter 2, verse 3, which is what we're going to talk about today. But the specifics will be worked out among us and in each of us as the year progresses, okay? So not everything is going to be handed to everybody on a silver platter. We are going to have to put some thinking time into it. We're going to have to put our backs to this thing, all right? And so that's what's coming ahead in 2016. Now, to understand Paul's pattern of ministry, we hope to understand the times he lived in. It is not too unlike our times today. For example, when you look back in history and you look back at the time when Paul wrote this, there were false teachers and false teaching that had risen up in the city of Colossae, and if people were being deceived, distracted, and divided. And this is not a real nice environment. 
All of us can identify with that, right? When people are divided, when people are distracted, everything is going on all at the same time. Everybody's going in a different direction all at the same time. And there's no cohesiveness. There's no unity. And so that's what was happening in Colossae. Well, what did these false teachers teach that was so bad? You know? I mean, they couldn't be all bad, right? Well, generally speaking, what these false teachers were teaching was that Christ was just one of many manifestations of God. But he was not God. He was not God. Okay? So that in itself should have tipped off people. There's something wrong here. All right? But nevertheless, people were following this. They also taught that there was a higher secret body of spiritual knowledge that was necessary for salvation. So basically, they would go to people and they say, if you want to be saved from your sins, if you want to be right with God, then you have to know this certain category and body of material. And guess who has that material? Us, you see. And they would say, we will tell you what those uh, uh, conditions are. Then... There were certain Jewish practices, rules, and regulations that needed to be followed. So, not only was it enough that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you had to follow the dietary laws. You would have to follow and observe some of the festivals. You would have to hold to the Sabbath religiously, ritualistically. And so, you had all of these conditions that were constantly being put upon you. They also taught that angels were to be worshipped. The angels were to be worshipped. And they were also taught to mystical experiences should be sought after. And so all of this, you mix it all together. You take a big salad bowl and you throw it in there and you mix it all up. This is what the false teachers were teaching. And this was having some dangerous and devastating results on the people at the church at Colossae. So much so that their pastor, Epaphras, went all the way to Rome to visit Paul in the prison and say, Paul, what do I tell these guys? What do I say to them? And that's why Paul had to write this letter to the Colossians and that we are able to study today. In the book of Colossians, Paul confronts and corrects the false teachers and their false teachings. So that's what the whole book of Colossians is. But we're not covering the whole book today, all right? We're just covering this small part about Paul's pattern of ministry. So how would Paul, if he were here today, if he went to Colossae, what would he do to develop spiritually healthy believers in Christ? What would be his strategy? Paul reveals the basic elements of ministry for all of us to emulate. And I hope that you and I are ready. I hope that you and I will understand the wisdom of God that comes through his servant, the Apostle Paul. And this will help set the pace. This will help set the pattern for us in 2016. And so very simply, the first thing is Paul's plan. Paul's plan. Notice Paul did not have some grand strategy. He didn't have a picture of the, of the, of the earth behind him, you know, with all the continents and everything. You know, we're going to do this. Very simple. It's almost so simple that you can miss it. But Paul's plan was to do three things, okay, to do three things. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, 
He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that he may be made, he may, uh, we may present every man complete in Christ. It says in First uh, Chronicle, I mean, uh, in Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-eight. Now, notice those three words. He says, proclaim. The word proclaim there means to announce with authority. In other words, confidently and courageously. It's probably not as clear in the, in the English uh, writing as it is in the Greek because it comes in the present tense, and many of you know what that means. That means that it's a habit. It's something that is continually going on. You don't do it just because you feel like it. You do it all the time whenever the opportunity arrives. And so this is what Paul says. I will proclaim Christ whenever possible, whenever appropriate. I will do it confidently and courageously, he says. And then he says, proclaim who? Him. Him meaning Christ. Now, at first you might say, that makes perfectly good sense. But then the false teachers presented themselves. They proclaimed themselves. They were in it for the reputation. They were in it for the rewards that come with being a noted teacher. But not Paul. Paul says, I'm not going to teach you about Paul. I'm not going to sell you a product. I'm not going to sell you a program. I'm not going to give you a philosophy. Five steps to becoming in, insanely enriched in 24 hours. You know, he's not doing that, okay? So he doesn't present either a product, a program, or a philosophy. Nor does he set down a set of rules and regulations. He says, look, if you're going to hear me, Paul says, you're going to hear me talk about Christ. That's who you're going to hear me talk about. And then, in, in uh, an example of this, we found in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, and in these particular verses alone, just as an example, you can count them for, to, for yourself after the service, but him referring to Christ appears eight times, eight times it appears. Isn't that marvelous? Paul did not mention himself once, but he mentions Christ. So that was part of Paul's plan. But his plan also included admonishing. Now, some people, they say, admonish? Man, we don't use that word much this morning. When's the last time you used the word admonish? When's the last time you went, parents, when's the last time you went to your kid and said, I'm admonishing you? No, you didn't say, I'm scolding you. (laughs) I'm doing this to you, you know, something like that. Teacher, when's the last time you said that to your students? Supervisors, when's the last time you said that to the people who work under you? You don't say that, all right? But what does admonish mean? Admonish means to correct or uh, through instruction or warning. Instruction or warning. Uh, I have seven kids. I don't want them to get run over by a car. So I always tell them, when you walk across the street, you look both ways, all right? And if a car's coming, you don't go. All right, so you do it by instruction and you do it by warning. If you don't, the car wins, all right? (laughs) So this is what you do. You admonish. And so notice here that Paul says every man, not just a select few, not just a chosen few. He says, I'll make this available to anyone and everyone. You see, the false teachers were only interested in a select group of people. 
They were only elect. They were only concerned about reaching a certain small number of people who would follow them. But Paul says, "Hey, no, this is for everyone." He says he would teach the full counsel of God as called for. So he would proclaim Christ. He would admonish people. And then the third thing is he plans to teach every man with all wisdom. It says. Again, look at that, every man, not just special people, but everyone with all wisdom. No, some hit, no hidden wisdom uh, that would make them somehow spiritually elite. He would give them the wisdom of God. Wow. What more can you ask for? What more can you ask for, you see? So Paul's plan is deceptively simple, but yet very effective. Very effective. The same pattern has been repeated for centuries. And that's why Christianity is where it is, you see. And so it is very effective. Paul's plan revolved around proclaiming Christ, admonishing and teaching, so that every man would be presented complete or mature in Christ. Well, is there another part to Paul's plan? Yes, there is. Paul was no fool. He was no fool. He knew that no matter what he did, he needed the power of God behind it. He needed the power of God. So when you look at uh, verse 29, we see this come out very clearly. For this purpose, what purpose? Presenting every man complete in Christ. He says, I want to do this. But he says, also, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now, I want you to notice something here, very, uh, very uh, important. First of all, in the first part of verse 29, Paul exposes his strenuous efforts. Strenuous efforts. Look, you see this in the word labor. The word labor means, it's not like a woman having a baby, although that is pretty tough. I, I'll say that for my wife. Okay, she did all the work. I, I watched. Okay, but... I'm telling you, it labor means striving to the point of exhaustion. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever been in a situation where you've worked so hard, you're just totally, you're like, you just washed out. There's not an ounce of energy left in you. That's what Paul says, and that's what he's describing here. And then he uses the word striving. It is a word with an athletic term, and it means exertion and effort like an athlete would put into winning an event. You know, I've had the privilege of participating in sports, but more so watching sports. I'm more of a watcher than a participant, okay? But I have seen how hard athletes work to win. I've seen it where they just drenched in sweat. I see where they can barely lift their shoulders, barely lift their legs, barely move on. The exertion that it takes, that's the effort that Paul puts into this, a very strenuous effort. But then in the last part of verse 29, he does not forget to show us the God-sustaining power. God-sustaining power. And it says, according to his power, which mightily works within me. Okay? Now, what's all this to say? All this to say, it takes both. It takes both. Okay? So many people enter into churches, and they just say, all we got to do is pray, man. All we got to do is pray. Step back, let God do his thing. And that's all we got to do. Paul says, no, no. He says, if this is ever going to happen, this presenting every man 
complete in Christ. It takes everything I got, and it's going to take the power of God to put us over the top. Okay? That's what Paul is trying to say. So, if you're here today, and you've come to GBC, and you figured out all this church has to do is pray, and I don't have to lift a finger, I'm not going to do anything, forget it. Because what Paul is saying to us, it takes both. It takes both to get the job done. And so when Paul comes into this, he's, he's very clear on this. Sometimes, for example, people have asked me and they said, you know, I'm, I'm over 35 years in the ministry now. I know I look much older. Okay, I, I, I understand that. But it's, I've been in the ministry over 35 years. It feels even longer, okay? But people, sometimes the younger ones will come up and say, how have you lasted this long, you know? And I'll look them in the eye, and I'll just smile. and says, I haven't got a clue. It's just that God keeps giving the grace and the mercy to continue one more time. And so it's his sustaining power. If you think... You know, I'm talking to someone who's maybe just coming in the ministry or has been in for a little bit. I'll just say, if you think it's all about ability and you think it's all about your good looks and your, your fine mind and all of that other stuff, God will use that for sure. But that isn't all it is. It is the sustaining power of God. That's what puts it over the top. And so whether you're, you are a Sunday school teacher who uh, has taught children for many years or whether you're an adult uh, and, and have been teaching and, and ministering to adults or you've been our nursery workers, for many years, it's the sustaining power of God that keeps you and I going. Make no mistake. But we have to give it 110%. We have to give it 110%. Paul's power came from his own uh, efforts, but mostly from God's sustaining power. So, there was God's plan, I mean Paul's plan, and then there was the power source in God. Just one more thought here. Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose. And this is found in Colossians, the latter part of verse 28, and also chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Now, Paul said his purpose was what? that he may present every man complete or mature in Christ. What might that look like? Why, why did Paul didn't use, just use the word mature? Why did he use a synonym for it? Why did he use the word perfect? He used the word perfect because that was the word that the false teachers used. The false teachers of that day were teaching false doctrine. And what they were saying is, come to me, listen to me, follow me, and I'll make you perfect. So Paul is referring to them indirectly by saying, I'll use the same word that they use. But the thought that I have is the, is the concept of maturity in Christ. What does maturity in Christ look like? All right? And this, there's a lot of confusion in the churches today because people somehow mistake this for knowledge. And so they'll say, that means quoting all ten commandments backwards. Do you know? It means this. It means that. And they substitute knowledge. But what does Paul say are the marks of maturity? Okay? He gives them to us in, in, in this verse. And so... 
If you look at verse 1, he says in chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle. It's the same word that he, same root word that came out for before about striving. He's working so hard for. And so he says, I'm giving it the all-out effort. And he says in verse 2, here are the marks of spiritual maturity. Hearts may be encouraged, he says. He says in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. A mature belief, believer is comforted and encouraged in all different situations of life. Another way to look at this is look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Sometimes we think the Apostle Paul was so perfect he never had a bad day in his life. Oh, but he did. He had times when there were things in his life going on that he didn't seem to have the victory over. Remember when he had to pray, when he was being tested? He had this thorn in the flesh kind of thing? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he talks about this. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, and he, and he was praying to God to please deliver him from this. And this is what God said back to Paul. He said in verse 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, what does he say? Then I am strong. That sounds to me like a person who is comforted and encouraged in heart. Some people say, Pastor, you ever have a bad day? How about a bad month? How about a bad year? How about a bad decade? (laughs) I've had all of them, man. Okay? Probably not so unlike any of you here in this room. But somehow, some way, God takes me through this thing. My heart is comforted. My heart is encouraged. I've been so encouraged by some of your own testimonies that you all have sent me. The test that, that God has allowed to come into your life, I would fold easily. But because of God's love and God's word and God's spirit, we are able to be comforted and encouraged. Then he gives a second mark of maturity. Knit together in love. Knitted or united together in love. Being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Being selfless instead of selfish. All right? That's the mark of a mature believer. Okay? You don't find mature believers running around all over the church and saying, yeah, this is bad, oh, this is bad, you know, the sound was too good, oh, you know, the lighting was terrible, all the slides, the point point wasn't too too hot, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. You find them united together in love for one another. And they're saying to one another, brother, sister, you've had a rough week, you've had a rough day, you're in a tough situation, how can I help? How can I help? Let me do this for you. Knitted together in love, he says. That's the second mark. Then he talks about a third characteristic of a mature believer, and that is that they, pos- they possess a special kind of wealth. Uh-oh. Now, some of you have already perked up. 
You said, oh, here we go. Here we go. These are the five points how to get rich in, in, five, in, five, uh, in, in just a, uh, one day. Okay? Here it is. No. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Look at what he says further. He says, their hearts be encouraged. They knit together in love. Attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ in himself, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Three things, he says, that compose this wealth. In fact, that's one way this sentence can be translated, is the, the content of this wealth. And the content is threefold. Full assurance, Richness of having firm conviction and confidence about one's salvation and sanctification. Okay? That's a big word of saying. Sanctification is a big word to say daily holiness. Okay? And so what he's trying to say is that the mature believer has this treasure. He has this wealth. He has this asset. Okay? If you will. And it is brimming full. And it's composed of this assurance, I am a child of God. And I know how to live, and as difficult as it is, I can live it. That is the full assurance. And this understanding, understanding equals insight, the ability to assess, and, to, and I like to call it connecting the dots, connecting the dots, okay? So the person looks at a situation, and he says, I understand it. I figured it out. I know what this is all about. I can, I, I can do something about this. Having understanding. That's part of the wealth. What else? He says, he concludes it with knowledge, true knowledge. This is, you know the facts. Knowledge is knowing the facts. Understanding is putting the facts all together <laughs> and applying it to your situation. He says, this is what the person has. In Christ, we have all the wisdom and knowledge we need for salvation or deliverance from the wages of sin, for our, uh, from the wages of sin, and sanctification, living holy lives daily. Mature believers are dear ones in Christ whose hearts are encouraged, who are united together with other believers in love, and who are confident of their salvation and their sanctification. In other words, they're confident about their faith. Okay? They're confident about their faith. Can we say we have that kind of comfort, confidence, and understanding and knowledge? As impossible as that may be to achieve, that was Paul's purpose or goal. And it should be ours as well as a disciple-making church. As a disciple-making church. Paul's purpose was to produce mature followers of Christ, those who are comforted, confident, and certain of their faith and salvation in Christ. Now, let me hurry on here to the last part. I put up the slide, the big question, and in your bulletins, in the, in the outline, I said, what if? What if? At the end of a sermon, I like this sort of dream with God. Hopefully, I'm with God, right? Not having delusions or something of my own. And so, I ask God, what if? What if? And I said, there's going to be people out here who are not complete in Christ. Maybe they've come to church for a really long time, or maybe just a short time. And they say to themselves, boy, I'm, <laughs> I'm so far from those <laughs> three things. <laughs> you know, I need some help. 
Well, then get yourself into a position to become complete in Christ. Perhaps this involves the discipleship seminars. You have those big flyers in your bulletin. Perhaps it involves starting with a care group. Perhaps it involves getting into a small Bible study with somebody else on the church, okay? Those things are available to you. If you are com- but then there are those people who are, are complete in Christ. They're a little bit more mature. Then help someone else to become complete in Christ. Make, the, make your, your CG, your home, your workplace, and, and school a, a, a disciple-making river that ebbs and flows but is never stagnant. I was really asking God, God, come on. Lord, I really need an analogy that would speak word, with, you know, volumes to this. I was asking God, is there some kind of picture that I could paint for the church that would help them to understand this? You know what he gave me? He gave me the analogy of a river, of a river. But I started with the image of a pond. And I said, why don't we make our homes, our CG and everything, a pond? But you know, then I remembered, a pond is stagnant. It doesn't, nothing, everything flows in, but nothing flows out. So the pond analogy doesn't work, but a river does, because a river is living, breathing. It goes in and it goes out. There's life happening in the river, all right? And so if we take this a little bit further, the river whose whose bottom and banks are defined by being biblically based, prayer-saturated, community-focused, intentionally disciple-making, a multiplication of disciple-makers, and intergenerational disciple-making. Okay? A river has banks. A river has a bottom. And they determine the course of this thing. And if we can take those five things I just mentioned, which, by the way, happen to be the disciple-making task force must-haves, all right, Bible-based, so on and so forth, all of that, that will determine our course. This might look, then, like a mighty river. Could GBC look like a mighty river? I think some of us probably think, well, it's a little trickle, you know, it's kind of like a, like a leaky faucet right now. You know, not much going on in this place. But what if? What if this was a place where everyone is accepted and assimilated? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? I think so. I think so. I love it when people get assimilated in the church and they begin to become part of the body of Christ. Where Christ is boldly proclaimed, God's people are corrected, warned, and taught about, God's, about Christ's love where God's people are committed 110% to Christ and His cause, sustained by His mighty power. Let me share with you. I found these. I was going through my stuff. You have stuff? I have stuff, all right? I was going through my stuff for the new year, and I saw this beautiful picture, and I said... What about the building? What about the building? And I said, this is such a beautiful piece of work. So on my refrigerator door, I have pictures of my missionaries. I have pictures of, you know, all kinds of different ministries going on. And it helps me remember to pray for them. 
What if we gave each household another one of these pictures and you stuck it in a prominent place in your home and it stirred you and spurred you on to pray for the building? I dare say that what it would do is it would probably call into question your mind. How committed am I into this thing? Our leaders are for it. We've seen God's hand leading this thing step by step. What are we waiting for? You see? And so it's time. Whether it's a building program or something else, whatever it is, be committed to it 110%. What if we were like a mighty river where God's people were growing in their confidence and their faith and salvation, understanding and knowledge, and they are helping others to grow complete in Christ? Wow, that'd be a pretty nice place. I'd like to be there. Wouldn't you? You betcha. You see? Because I would see where I fit in the picture. I would see where God fits in the picture. And together, we're doing great things for God. You see? Now, it's going to take more than one guy to do this, more than one person to do it, like the pastor. (laughs) Say, Pastor, you do it. All sounds good and well. You know, we're right behind you, way behind you, you know. That kind of thing, all right? Now, we got to be shoulder to shoulder on this thing. we got to go. It can't happen with one magic tagline. I know that some people out there are just waiting for that magical tagline, like they do in commercials and stuff, that will just set our hearts ablaze. Guess what, folks? Those are hard and few to come by. Let's not depend on taglines. Let us move forward. This is a team effort. One reaching one, praying and participating, caring and loving. If all of this happens, 2016 could be really a fun year. Could really be a fun year. Could be a great year for the Lord and for His glory. But it's going to take you, it's going to take me, striving and laboring, and depending on the power, sustaining power of God. Okay? That's how it's going to happen. So, what's next for GBC? Present every man perfect or mature in Christ. How? By being engaged in the efforts of proclaiming, warning, and teaching. What is next for you? What is next for you? A new job, a new car, a new house, a new spouse. I don't know. But if God's in it, it's going to be good. And so here we are. We don't want to be the same old, same old, or becoming, but rather becoming complete in Christ and helping others to do the same. I hope you join us in this. I really do. I didn't give you a fancy tagline. I didn't give you some big hard sell. All I tried to give you was what God's word says. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are so, so good to us. You have watched over us in so many ways. And I pray, O Lord, that you will continue to do so. 
I pray, Father, as we enter into 2016, that our hearts would be set on fire by you. It'll be a little clearer what we need to do. Proclaim Christ. Admonish and teach everyone. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise for the song of response. Sorry. I'm sorry. There's one thing that I had to do. Okay. In your bulletins, there is a link, a website you can go to. It has like 20 different ways to read the Bible in one year. (laughs) I never thought there could be so many different ways to do it. But you go there, you'll find many, many, many ways. All right? For those of you who don't have a computer or those of you who are old school, then what you, have, you, what you can do is, as you go out the door, among all the other parting gifts that we have for you, is we have a whole calendar of passages that you can read and get you through the Bible in one year. All right? So there's two ways that you can do that. But I am convinced that God has much more to say to us through his word. And I'm anxious to find out what he is saying to you. But you have to get into the word to hear what he's saying and then come and share it with me. All right? God bless you. Please rise for the song response.